and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by the Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. The following sermon is by Dr. Danny Campbell, senior pastor at the Tabernacle, and was recorded during our Sunday morning service. To view the entirety of our service, please visit our Facebook page at The Tabernacle Family or our YouTube channel at The Tabernacle Today. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles as we join Dr. Danny for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 11, Revelation 11, and as you turn there, I want to talk to you about an incident that happened in the life of one of my favorite authors, Randy Alcorn, is a great author. He's able, like C.S. Lewis did, to write great, compelling nonfiction and fiction, and I love both of those that he does. But he was once visiting missionary friends in Cairo, Egypt. Their names were Pat and Raquel Thurman. And the Thurmans took Randy on a drive through the dusty streets of Cairo. And they drove past Arabic signs down an alley littered with garbage to a gate that opened to a plot of overgrown grass. What it was was a dilapidated graveyard for American missionaries. And they pushed through the high grass there and they came to a sun-scorched tombstone that you could barely read. And it said, William Borden, 1887 to 1913. If you haven't heard the story of William Borden, Borden was a Yale graduate. Now, you've heard of Borden on your uh, grocery store shelves, right? That's the family, right? The Borden family. He was part of that very rich family. He was a Yale graduate and heir to great wealth. But he rejected a life of ease after he came to know the Lord, and he decided he wanted to take the gospel to Muslims. And before leaving for Egypt, he actually gave away hundreds of thousands of dollars for missions. It would have been in the tens of millions of dollars today that he gave to help various mission organizations and churches and things before he went to Egypt. Within God's mysterious plan, and we don't always understand, uh, you know, there's a reason why we have the statement, the Lord works in mysterious ways. But William Borden was only able to be there for four months in Cairo, Egypt, before contracting spinal meningitis and dying at the young age of 25. So Randy Alcorn dusted off the rest of the tombstone that day and it described Borden's love and sacrifice for the kingdom of God and for the Muslim people and it ended with this inscription, apart from faith in Christ, there's no explanation for such a life. But the trip wasn't over. The Thurmans then took Randy to the big museum the Egyptian National Museum there in Cairo. And you may have guessed whose tomb they saw there. King Tut, right? King Tut. That's the one, you know, he's born in Babylon, moved to Arizona. Uh, Look, that's different. But yeah, King Tut. He was the boy king who also died at the age of 17. When he was buried, he was buried with solid gold chariots and thousands of golden artifacts. His gold coffin was in a gold tomb within a gold tomb. The burial site was literally filled with tons of gold. You see, the Egyptians believed in the afterlife, but they believed you could actually take your earthly treasures to heaven or the afterlife with you, whatever the afterlife was for them. And so they would bury the riches with the person and sometimes throw in their wives and their concubines as well, even though they weren't dead yet. You know, they just do that sort of thing. Throw them all in, enjoy enjoy them in the afterlife. But all the treasure intended for King Tut's eternal enjoyment 
stayed right where it was until Howard Carter, the archaeologist, discovered the burial chamber in 1922, a hundred years ago this year. They hadn't been touched for 3,000 years. Now, if you all factor into measuring a life, if all you do when you're measuring the value of a life or factoring the value of a human life is measure the years between birth and death, you are sad that both men died, but you'd probably call William Borden a fool for the sacrifices he made to be on mission with God. But if you rightly factor in eternity and realize that one day all people will actually give an account to God, you'll think much, much differently. You'll realize that despite his riches on earth, King Tut went out into a Christless eternity and none of his earthly riches were able to go with him. But William Borden did things as he served Christ that he can very much access into heaven in the means of blessing. We're going to see in today's passage, and we're going to realize that everything William Borden did for Christ during his life is going to be rewarded in eternity. One of the great teachings of the scriptures, and we're going to look at those today. He would agree now more than ever with a statement he is famous for. Here it is. No reserves, no retreats, no regrets. William Borden had no regrets. Today we're going to look at the clear truth that's taught in every part of Scripture. It's no matter how you read it, in every section of the Scripture, it includes a time where we'll give an account to God. And we'll account to Him for every thought that we've thunk, the motives we had, the words that came out of our mouth, the deeds that we did. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he's done in the body, whether good or bad. Now we're in Revelation 11, and we've just got a few verses to read, but they're so important that we kept them for this uh, moment today and didn't combine them with another section. Verse 15 says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders, representing all redeemed humanity, who sat before God on their thrones, fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you've taken your great power and reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then looky here, verse 19, John says, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and great hail. We're not going to talk so much about that last verse this time because there's a passage coming up that'll give us a lot to talk about, about that heavenly temple. But isn't it interesting, chapter 11 starts with John measuring the earthly temple and those who worship there. And it ends with him looking up and seeing the temple that God made, the one that's eternal in the heavens. Hebrews 8 and 9 say it's always been there. In fact, the earthly temple was a copy of the heavenly one. And it makes you think, doesn't it? You've got your temporary things down on earth measured in the first couple verses, but then you've got John's attention again being directed, and ours is too today, to the North Star things of our faith, the things that we can navigate our lives by, the fact that God has his throne in heaven, his temple in heaven, and is 
in charge even when the world seems so out of control and everything is moving toward his appointed ends and we get to join God in what he's doing as we're here on earth and our passage today says we'll be rewarded if we do. So today we look at wrath, rewards, and regrets. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the time of singing we've had. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for this little passage, Lord, that reminds us that there is a time of judgment coming. We shudder to think of that judgment for the lost. We'll see more about it in Revelation 20. The great white throne judgment in which everybody who has not turned to you, everyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, will be judged and then experience the lake of fire forever. Lord, in other passages we read about a time Christians will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. And it will be very different. It won't be so much judgment as analysis and the time where we'll understand <laughs> that we're such sinners. The only reason we're saved is your grace through our faith in you and what you did for us on the cross. We thank you the scriptures indicate that will also be a time where you will reward the saints for what they've done for you. And Lord, I pray, uh, of all the messages I preach, this is one of the most important ones. I pray for each and every person listening now that they will not retain a lesser version for their life. That they'll not be content to live this life as a law unto themselves and then uh, have hell insurance by going to heaven with you. And that's the extent of their faith. But instead, life for them will become joyful and fun and thinking about sending treasure ahead to heaven by the things we do for others on earth. Especially, Lord God, your command, your great command to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love others as we love ourselves, God. I pray this message will be transformational for those who have had a lesser vision for their lives. In Christ's name I pray, amen. The seventh angel sounds the trumpet, so the seventh trumpet. And it's interesting because even though he sounds, it looks like it's a while before the next set of judgment starts, but it's clearly a key time in the text and in heaven. And so again, our thoughts are transported to heaven after looking at the two witnesses wit witnessing on earth, the Antichrist killing them, and then uh, just 42 very tough months, especially for Jews on earth, that's gonna come during the time of the tribulation. Here we are transported back to heaven, and you were singing so wonderfully and loud a little while ago. Verse 15 refers to loud voices in heaven. And again, I love the Psalms that talk about shouting your praise some. And it's nice to be in a company of other believers singing when you can sing loud and also then speak quietly about the things of the Lord and how God uses it all. Moments of silence, moments of loud praise. He puts it all together for us. But in verses 15 through 17, anticipation about what's to come brings praise in heaven. And uh, you may have noticed as we've been going through Revelation, every few chapters, everything seems to stop and there's more praise in heaven. We're brought back to heaven and heaven is beside themselves with expectation about Christ's coming. So even back in chapter one, he said, this is what this is about. It's about Christ coming on the clouds, right? The son of man's coming on the clouds of heaven. And so every once in a while we get back there just to keep our focus on that. And as believers today, looking forward to all that God's going to do in the future to make this world right. Now, when you come to a passage like this, for a moment you think, oh, 
well, this thing must be about to be done. This, chapter, this whole book must be about to have the conclusion coming. And then Revelation, after that, tells you some more about what will happen. And then another passage acts like it's already over. So what's going on in passages like this that stop and again get our bearings, that North Star of heaven's praise? Here's what's happening. As we get closer to Christ's second coming, heaven is bursting with anticipation about Christ's coming reign and the time he's going to right all wrongs. When it says have become there in verse 15 or has come in verse 18, it's referring not to the instance of this praise, but to Revelation 19. And we're going to see that happen again. The soon-to-be-accomplished second coming of Christ, that will happen after it. Kind of like this. You know, you go to a basketball game, and in the last minute, your team's up by 20 points. Game's in hand, right? Game's in hand. And so, coach calls a timeout, clears his bench. Everybody that's not gotten to play is rewarded for their time in practice. They get in the game. They're going to get a few moments there. Their parents are going to be happy they got out there to play. And uh, then the crowd is so excited that they're going to win the game, even though the game's not over yet. I mean, the clock hasn't hit zero yet, but they know they're going to win. And so what do they do? They're so excited they start. One of the things about our, in America, we don't have people that sing like soccer in Europe and stuff, you know. Uh, so in soccer, they're singing throughout the game. Maybe it's because some of the stuff going on the field is boring. I, I, I give you that. Um, but uh, in America, we are used to a song near the end of a game that's a blowout, right? Na, 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 hey, goodbye, right? It's kind of a snotty little song, you know, uh, that happens and things. But that's kind of what's happening here. Heaven's rejoicing and singing, and they're singing about what's about to happen, but it's as good as happened in their mind, because victory is guaranteed for the Son of God. Amen? And so you have that happening. The evil impact of Satan on earth is almost done. The last saint's about to get home. And as the 24 hours think about this moment, they rejoice in anticipation. But then they, after those wonderful verses, and we were singing just like it a little bit ago, they throw in the amazing reality that we read about in verse 18, about wrath and rewards. It says, now the nations were angry and your wrath has come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, thank God for all of human existence. God has been saving those who repent, those who have done much bad on earth and destruction on earth. If they repent and turn to Christ, he can save them. But the day of reckoning is coming for those who never repent and the evil world system and Satan's energy behind it. Uh, and heaven rejoices that that time is coming and that there will be a reign of Christ on earth that'll be perfect. And then, of course, the new earth after that with the new Jerusalem on it. This verse anticipates the dead being judged, which is bad news for those who destroy the earth, but good news for those who God will reward. Finish a verse for me. Hebrews 9, 27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die, and then the judgment. Everybody's got that appointment with death, and sometime after death there will be a judgment. And as I said in my prayer, when you read the Bible, it seems to indicate a couple different times of judgment. One for those who have repented and believed, and one for those who haven't. And I'm going to leave the wrath part for another day because when we get to Revelation uh, 20 and see the great white throne judgment, there will be plenty to reflect on there. And I've done it already some in this series. 
Uh, But for those who haven't repented, turned to Christ, and had their names written in the Lamb's book of life, there will be the great white throne judgment we'll talk about in Revelation chapter 20. But there's also a judgment for believers, sometimes referred to as the judgment at the Bema seat, because that's the Greek word used in 2 Corinthians 5.10. I quoted it to you earlier. And the word for judgment there is Bema, when it says believers will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, it's going to be sometime in the future, after the time of the rapture, exactly when, we're not sure. Perhaps it'll happen immediately after the rapture in heaven as the tribulation gets going. Perhaps it goes along with the marriage supper of the Lamb, talked about also in Revelation 19 and 20. I I tend to think maybe that's part of that. And perhaps after the millennium, we're not sure. But the cool thing is, the thing that we can bear down on with certainty is that that time is coming. Now, when you think about why, you know, Hebrews 9, 27, it's pointed on a man once to die and then the judgment, but the judgment is delayed till the future. Um, we wonder why it doesn't happen right after death. I love what the evangelist Ron Dunn used to say. He used to say, the Bible presents the judgment as after a lot of the things we're experiencing now on earth. And he said, why is that? That's because the impact that one life can have often continues on after they go to heaven, right? I think about how most Januaries I start the year by reading John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress. It has been so helpful in my Christian life to get some images in my head. And almost every year as I start to go through the slough of despond, uh, or I'm in Doubting Castle and the giant named Despair is beating up on me, I remember some, uh, or or going through Vanity Fair and uh, all the temptations in Vanity Fair and those things. And I'm reminded of the different ways that uh, Bunyan brilliantly points believers to having these things in their mind as they go through these things and realize that you can stumble and be forgiven, but you need to be careful with your choices because bad choices have consequences and they get you off track in those things. But John Bunyan's book is still influencing people today. For some of you, your grandma's prayers are still influencing things today. The example that someone set that's now in heaven uh, had a wonderful teacher for the Danville Christian School, Jean Marlowe, who taught other places as well, and I know her funeral was yesterday, and what an impact. And the things that she sowed into her students will continue to bear fruit for decades to come, amen? And some of you teachers that have taught here in the church and uh, uh, gone out and done the good news clubs and prison ministry and other things, those will continue to bear fruit. And, you know, I think about one of my favorite preachers to hear is still Adrian Rogers, Love Worth Finding. And recently I've been going back and listening to Adrian again and the great things he said and his messages are still bearing fruit. So I like what Ron Dunn said in that. John Bunyan himself anticipated this future time of rewards. He said this, consider... To provoke you to good works, you shall have that you shall have from God when you come to glory a reward for everything you do for him on earth. Our passage today is among the passages that says that. And I love the thought that uh, life can become this great treasure hunt to impact others for Christ and to do the things he called us to do, and God will reward those one day. Now, far more important for us than the when of the beam of judgment is understanding the who and the why and the what of the beam of judgment. So who will be at this reward, this beam of seat of Christ? Believers only. 
those who have repented of their sins and trusted Jesus alone for salvation, everyone there will be receiving the ultimate reward, eternity with God. And so going to heaven itself is a reward. Having Christ in your heart and forgiving your sins is already a reward. But the Lord is gracious and just builds on that as we're going to see more. Well, that takes care of the who, but that brings up the why. If we're going to heaven based on what Christ has done and all our sins are forgiven, why will Christ still judge us? Why will he still evaluate us? Why will he give us the ultimate job description and evaluation for our lives? Because everything we do on earth matters. Everything you do every day, every minute, every second of the day matters. It really does. And uh, some of it matters for all of eternity based on you following Christ and doing what you should do in that moment for the Lord. Too many Christians act like salvation is their ticket to heaven but has no bearing on how they live their life now. Woo, glad I'm going to heaven, Lord. I've got my ticket. And so I'll see you at the end of my life and I'll cash this ticket in. You know, I'll present it to you then. Instead of thinking, hey, heaven has started for me now. The Holy Spirit's inside me. The same spirit that's in heaven is in my heart now. And there's things to do for Christ and applying this faith. The Bible makes clear over and over that after you're saved, you have the privilege of serving Christ and everything you do for Christ will be rewarded into heaven. Okay, so turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to put these on the board also, but I want you to see in 1 Corinthians 3 these verses and have them bear into your head. And for some of you, you'll want to, after church, get a 3 by 5 card and write 1 Corinthians 3, at least 11 through 15 on there, and meditate more on these verses. It'd be a good thing for you to talk about at lunchtime and uh, this image that the Scripture gives us in 1 Corinthians 3. Well, we're only saved because of what Christ does for us, but then he will reward what we do for him. 1 Corinthians 3 says it really well, starting verse 11. No one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid, that is, Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation of their faith, so if they by faith build with gold, silver, costly stones, those are precious gems, right? When you put gold in a fire, what happens? The dross is consumed and the gold is refined. And so uh, the one refining the gold can look and when they see their image in it, they know they've got a really good product there. And the Lord's looking down from heaven and as our lives build on the foundation of our faith with gold, silver, and precious stones, uh, it'll look a lot like what Jesus would do if he was here. But we can also build on that foundation with wood, hay, or straw, or some of your translations say stubble. Now, I learned a little bit about that yesterday. See, back in that ice storm we had last February, uh, between the first time... Uh, that uh, David Thompson helped me get up some brush. And the second time, uh, it was 50 total pickup full loads of uh, things that came off the trees into my yard. And I put them in a section of my yard, and I've been burning them for the whole last year. Had about 10 piles to go. And I thought, yesterday was the day. Going to get it done, right? And I started with my nice little area that I was burning there, and then... uh, you know, the wind kicked up. It was going soft, but then it kicked up and threw some of the fire here onto the first pile of wood, hay, and stubble that I had. And all of a sudden, it started heading toward the fence, and I was like, I got a problem. Called Barry. But it showed me how quickly that which is wood, hay, and stubble can burn up, right? 
So everyone is building on their foundation of Christ with either gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it. What day? The Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. Because it will be revealed by fire, not hellfire here. This isn't hellfire, this is analysis fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. Now look at this. If anyone's work which he has built survives, he or she will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. So I want you to think about, here's you, and beside you is every thought that you've ever thought, every word you've ever spoken, every deed you've ever done. Thank God for his forgiveness now, and we can't remember a lot of that stuff, right? But... The Lord is keeping a record. Yes, our sins are separated us as far as the east is from the west, but the Lord says there's this coming time of evaluation, right? And uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 is very clear. It involves the whole deal, the whole lot, which makes you and I all want to say, so here we are, and we're there, and we're standing before Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And there's a pile next to us. And imagine each of your thoughts, your words, and your deeds as being in that pile. So mixed in with the wood, hay, and stubble, the things that were mostly about us and carnality and you know, things that needed to be forgiven and we asked God to forgive us for them, Next to, mixed in with those are the things that we did for Christ with the right motive and heart motivation. And so it's next to us there and Jesus puts that fire of introspection on it, right? The wood, hay, stubble stuff is gonna go quick, just like happened yesterday at my yard. And what's gonna be left is the stuff that Christ can reward. The question is, how big is your pile going to be? The apostles, in their writings, every once in a while give us an insight into how pitiful it will be for you to have not done much that Christ can reward. The apostle John says, don't lose your reward in 2 John. Look to see that you're diligent. And of course, we've looked at these verses and what Christ has said. Jesus himself emphasized getting ready for heaven like this. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. He said, don't collect or store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but collect for yourselves treasures, where? In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Randy Alcorn said it well. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Many of us are obsessed with building our earthly portfolio and you need to think a lot more, brothers and sisters in Christ, about building your heavenly portfolio because that day is coming and you don't want to be ashamed on that day. You want a reward. Great saints in the past who knew they were saved by grace still thought like this. The great George Whitfield said, I hope to grow rich in heaven by taking care of orphans on earth. He had studied the scriptures and he knew God loves those who do ministry to the least of these. And he had, done a, he had built an orphanage in Georgia even though he was an Englishman. And it was one of the things that he greatly supported. Those things are put there to inspire us enthusiastically to serve our Lord. Colossians 3.23 is another great memory verse. What does it say? Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men. Knowing that you will receive the what? The reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Many of you have fondly thought of the great ministry of Billy Graham over the years. His wife was Ruth Graham, and she had an incredible ministry as well. 
In her kitchen there hung this sign. It said, divine service performed here three times daily. (laughs) What, Danny? Worship while I'm cooking? Doing the dishes or laundry while I'm mowing the lawn? Changing a diaper? Meeting with a difficult client? Taking a test? Worshiping those things? Absolutely. I'll say it stronger to you. If you haven't learned how to worship while you're doing those things, your Sunday morning singing probably is not very good worship either. If we can just change our mindset that the things we usually do for ourselves can be done for God and his glory, then you'll play your sports for the glory of God versus in pride to have a few people look at you. There's some examples of that in the Super Bowl tonight. And may the Lord bless them as they play. And I hope they get the microphone not only in the uh, mouth of the Christians that are on the winning team, but also those that are on the losing team. So, because they'll have some of the greatest perspective about how these are just temporary moments and the bigger things happen before and after the game. Even when you go and cheer at a game as a fan, you need to enter with a heavenly mindset and not just be our team needs to win, their team needs to lose. You don't want to jeer the opponents, you want to cheer your team. And as you go in, you're saying, hey, I know how this works. I might be seated next to a person that uh, their, their marriage is in trouble or they need a, a word of encouragement. God, help me to have my spiritual glasses on always. Not so much for the reward, but because I've got treasure in heaven and I want to love people. And Lord, thank you that you've also ordained that that will be rewarded as well. I have a sheet on the two sides up here of 10 things the Bible says believers will be rewarded for. And if you've never done that study or you'd like a little help in doing that study, I'm not saying it's everything. Because every once in a while the scripture stops and talks about being rewarded by the Lord. And so it's up here if you want to grab it uh, before we're done. Now, some object to this saying, Danny, hey, if you talk too much about rewards, people will lose sight of grace, how we're only saved by God's grace. And I have three answers to that objection. They're all pretty good answers, if I do say so. First is, I believe part of our time before Christ at the Bema Seat Judgment will definitely make clear to us that we're only saved by grace. Especially in America in the year 2022, we can't help but look in the mirror and think pretty good about ourselves. You know, Lord, uh, you're pretty lucky to have me. You know, uh, Lord, I'm a trophy of your grace. And uh, man, there's so many people out there that uh, I, uh, man, they're just not, they don't do nearly as much for you as I do or this or the other, you know. And, and, and we can't help, but even when it comes to that matter of how we're saved, Uh, Think about um, being good people. Jesus just shatters that. (laughs) He said, if you being evil (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Lord give good gifts to those who love him, right? But notice he called us evil. (laughs) And there's only two categories of people at the end of the day, right? Sinners who are saved by grace and sinners who are still under the wrath of God because they haven't turned to Christ. So grace, it's all by grace, right? But when we have that time before the Lord and we see those things that are especially regrets, uh, we'll realize our motives were often impure. We'll realize we missed a lot of opportunities. We'll realize that we were lazier than we should have been about uh, getting out there with our faith and helping people and serving. We'll really realize how stingy and greedy we were with our resources. We thought of them as ours rather than 100% belonging to Jesus and we're the stewards of them out there. And at the end of that time, each of us will be going, man, I don't deserve to go to heaven at all. And Jesus will smile and show us those nail-scarred hands and he'll say, 
you got it. You're only going because of what I did for you, not what you did for me. So that'll be part of it. That's my first answer to that. But the second one, the second one is, there are too many times the Bible and Jesus himself tells us to do what we do in part for future reward to overlook this key teaching. And so you have a choice to make. Will you continue on with the uh, mindset that, ah, I'm not too worried about what I do for him in this life. I'm just so glad I'm going to heaven. Uh, and the preacher said that, but you know, I, I, you have the choice to continue on in that slacker's mindset, or you can choose what Jesus says in the Gospels and what his apostles say after him. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why did he say that? Because you can. Because you can. And then he ended it by saying, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He said, if you're thinking heavenly like that, and you're thinking about what you're doing for him being rewarded there, he gave that. He's the one who gave us that as an incentive. It's not as the highest incentive. Pure love is, right? Love for God, love for our fellow man. But sometimes we get off track on that a little bit, and if we can remember the hope that we have that not only will we be in heaven, but also what we do for him will be rewarded, it's one of those higher motivations. It's always presented by Jesus as something that focuses you on a kingdom priority mindset, right? That Jesus is your king, and when you walk in this country, when you walk in this world, you are an ambassador for Christ. You live here, but your citizenship is there. And every day is an opportunity to reflect kingdom values to the citizens you live among, right? And he's going to reward you for that. You know, the world trips over itself to have award ceremonies for singers and sports and different things like that. And uh, it is so cool to read that there will be a time when the Lord rewards those who are his, right? The ultimate reward ceremony. And you don't want to have a burned up pile on that day. You want to have done what you did for Christ. The third thing is it goes to the nature of how people are wired, especially men. Like, men like to make a competition out of everything, don't they? Um, you know, I like to follow the Premier League stats and pro wrestling and this and that and the other, you know. I know you don't judge me. Um, but uh, we do. We just like to make competitions of things. And one of the reasons why when we're not turned on to Christ, uh, you know, the world gets off in all kinds of sinful areas, right? I mean, look at the, what the world's spending their time on, gambling and, um, uh, you know, sexual obsessions and all kinds of different things. But, and and uh, with the gambling part, you know, it's just growing and growing and the sports betting and too many Christians are looking the other way. It does harm people. It does hurt things. Um, and yet somehow we're wired or maybe it's the fall misrewired us to be in constant competition on things, Right. Even Jesus' disciples were arguing about which one of them was the greatest. But it's interesting in how Jesus dealt with them. He didn't say, stop wanting to be great. Stop wanting to have ambition. Stop having ambition to do something. He didn't say that at all, did he? He redirected it. Hey, you want to be great? That's great that you want to be great. Let me tell you how heaven will view you as being really great if you're the servant of all. Right? Ambition to serve for God's greater purposes in your life and others' lives, and then he'll reward it. We're wired that way to think of that. And so it's not, it's very interesting how we give our energy to all kinds of things that don't matter eternally, and then when a preacher talks to you like I'm talking now, you say, oh, well, I don't, I I don't want to be ambitious for Jesus to get stuff done for him, you know. 
And it's like, well, you are in every other area. You want to be the best softball player when you play softball. You want to be the best businessman when you lead a business and all these different things. And Jesus is trying to rewire us and point us to really wanting to make a difference for him and reordering your life around that. Now, you can do two things with that truth. The first one is you can keep living for earthly priorities and have regrets on that day. Or you can reorder your life around kingdom priorities. That in all things, Christ is preeminent. In all things, Christ comes first. But don't make it a legalistic thing. Have fun with it. I think Jesus gave us these things so we'd have fun. Now, here's how I like to do it. You're going to think this is corny, but maybe it works for some of you. When somebody comes to Christ, I like to say, touchdown for Jesus. So that's the big one, right? That's when you, a score happens for the Lord. Somebody's going to heaven that was going to hell. They've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. But in everything you do and speak every day, you're either advancing the faith football, so to speak, or you're, re- you're retreating. Many of your Christian mindset is this. I don't want to do anything wrong for the Lord, and so it's first down. I don't want to fumble. I don't want to throw an interception. I know what I'll do. I'll punt. First down, I don't want to do anything wrong for the Lord. I don't want to make any mistakes, so I'll just punt to the other team, and that way I'll be guaranteed that I won't make a mistake going forward. Well, no, no. Instead, you think in terms of here's a running play, and we only get three yards, but we're heading the right direction, right? And then throughout the day, there's going to be some things that you say, ooh, that one moved the sticks. That's a first down. And here's the corny thing that I do sometimes. When I hear a praise from somebody that's not somebody coming to Christ, I say, first down for Jesus. You know, when the players make a big play, that's what they do, right? And I do that during the day. Sometimes it's like, oh, what a great testimony I just heard. Like the thing with Betty Perkins in the cards. First down for Jesus, right? The report from India, touchdown, game over for Jesus, right? Amen. But still lots of things to accomplish for him there and around the world. But what is between wrath, which we won't experience as believers, and rewards, which are based on what we do for Jesus? Regrets. Regrets. And that's what I'm trying to paint this picture for you today is so when you stand on that day, Uh, You won't have lived a life of faith that has regrets in it because it was a more carnal faith where the deeds, things got burnt up because they were wood, hay, stubble. But instead, you'll have that beam on your face because you did that which he can reward. And you hear Jesus say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That brings me to a question. Can what will be a future regret turn into a future reward? The good news is absolutely. Absolutely. What are we ultimately being judged for at the Bema Seat of Christ? What is this time of analysis really about? It's what we did with the specific commands of Jesus. You've heard asking the question, what would Jesus do, right? And we've got this great example in the scriptures of what he did. And you just try to be like Jesus. First John gives so many examples of what love looks like. You know, you see a person in need. If you don't meet the need, your love for Jesus is waning. But if you do meet the need, you see it and you meet the need. It's an example of your love for Jesus by loving others. It's the things we knew we shouldn't have done but did. That's, that's a, a regret that we have. Things we could have done for Jesus but didn't. That's a regret. Relationships that were broken we could have tried to restore and the Lord was even impressing on us to restore them, but we didn't try.
Jesus said, if you're bringing your gift to the altar and recall your brother has something against you, first go try to make it right and then bring your gift. Hurts me as a pastor to say that because, you know, uh, we like the gifts. The church gets built on God's generous people. But Jesus, our Lord, said it, and I'm going to follow him and say, listen, far more important than the externals of your worship at church, the giving and the other things are this relational mindset where if God puts on your heart to ask somebody for forgiveness, you do it, and get that thing restored, you do it. And then with an overflow of joy, you'll be able to offer that gift with a pure heart. If you don't try to restore that relationship now, it will be a regret at the Bema Seat. But if you do try to restore that relationship now, it will be a reward at the Bema Seat. Many of you have deep regrets about actions and deeds and words and relationship regrets. I wasn't there for my child during their formative years. Now I live such regrets. But can I, Danny, turn that regret into a reward? Absolutely. You get it now. You didn't get it during all those working years, but you get it now. And you've poured out your heart to Jesus. God has forgiven you. Accept his forgiveness. Pray for that child. Make the most of your time with them now. I've been awful toward my parents. I've given them such a hard time, but now I get it. I've dishonored them, and now I get it. And I have such regrets. Can you turn that regret into word? Absolutely. If you truly repented, do everything you can now to honor your parents, even if they're dead already and you can only honor their memory. If you've truly repented, then regrets can turn into rewards. I haven't, out of conviction, been a tither. I haven't been generous in my giving. But that was yesterday. Now, change going forward, right? Invest in kingdom things and build up that heavenly portfolio. In all you do, take the eternal view. This world is not all there is, is it? Deal with those things now before it's too late because when you repent, heaven responds and regrets become rewards and this passage says there's a time coming where the saints will be rewarded. Let me tell you about Clarence Jones. Clarence Jones was the founder of HCJB Radio in 1931, the same year our church here was founded. Makes me wonder if he had been a member of the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle. Makes me wonder if he had been uh, a friend of our pastor when the church got started here along with a radio ministry. He played his trombone. Played his trombone, John, and uh, helped build the radio ministry as it got going in Chicago, but God put it on his heart to use missionary radio and he, he came in the vision down to Ecuador is where it was, Ecuador. Later on, he got to be friends with Nate Saint and Jim Elliott and those kind of missionary stories and things. Um, in his early days at the Chicago Baptist Tabernacle, he said, hey, kids need Jesus. They had thousands coming into the church through the witness and the radio, and he said they need clubs. They need children's clubs. So he helped put together clubs, and later, just a few years later, when Awana was founded, the Awana founder said, Clarence, you're really where this came from because you had us working with children, you were working with us too and we did it together and we're just doing now and promoting through these new Awana clubs what you did there at the Chicago Gospel Tabernacle. Well, in 1975, Clarence Jones was inducted into the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame, the very first inductee for all that happened through that radio ministry. Really powerful, it's a great book to read. In fact, we've got the biography of it there in the church library along with some great missionary biographies. But the reason I told you that is, Clarence Jones began being asked by people that wanted to work for HCJB Radio, uh, what will it take for me to work with you and, and to be a missionary with you? And he said, well, 
if you jump through all the hoops and you get appointed as missionary and come with us and do this work, he says, you'll need two things. You will need to bring a tuxedo because while you're there, you're going to get to meet the president of Ecuador and you need to be fit when you stand before his presence. The second thing you need to bring is a pair of overalls because we work hard for Jesus and you're going to work hard for Jesus if you do this, right? I believe this time of reward corresponds to the marriage supper of the Lamb we read about in Revelation 19. And there we're told the saints will be in dazzlingly white garments, robes. And the greater their sainthood for Jesus and the things they did for him, the more dazzlingly sparkly those robes will be. Some of you we won't even be able to see, you know. So the garments, the tuxedo for that day, has already been prepared by the Lord Jesus. Now's the time for the overalls. Bow your head. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.